Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I am the Ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Some of the material Trump stole and was hiding and was refusing to return and was recovered 16 days ago from Mar-a-Lago is, quote, among the most sensitive secrets we hold, unquote. That quote is from one of two Washington Post sources, both, the paper says, familiar with the search What the FBI removed on the 8th of this month, what Trump held illegally, immorally, anti-constitutionally is, as the Post writers phrased it, quote, considered extraordinarily sensitive because it could reveal carefully guarded secrets about U.S. intelligence gathering methods. We must now view Donald Trump for what he is, at least in effect, possibly in literal reality, a spy. In 1951, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were convicted of helping to pass stolen nuclear documents and information to the Soviet Union. Two years later, they were executed. In 2004, Sandy Berger, a national security advisor under President Clinton, stole five copies of one report on the so-called Millennium Bomber from a National Archives reading room. He destroyed those reports. He pleaded guilty to doing so. He was fined $50,000, sentenced to two years probation, 100 hours of community service, had his security clearance suspended, and he gave up his license to practice law, five copies of one document. In 2018, Reality Lee Winner accessed and leaked one 
classified document about Russian operatives accessing American voting registration records before the 2016 elections. She believed she was trying to warn this country about a cyber attack from an enemy nation. She was sentenced to five years in prison. She was only released to a halfway house this June. Upon her conviction in 2018, an American politician tweeted, quote, ex-NSA contractor to spend 63 months in jail over classified information. Gee, this is small potatoes compared to what Hillary Clinton did. Addressing then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions, the tweeter added, so unfair, Jeff, double standard. You already know who tweeted that. It was Trump. And as outlined yesterday here, as detailed in the letter to his lawyers from the National Archives, which was inexplicably published by one of Trump's lackeys, Trump took more than 700 pages of classified documents out of the White House. Trump stole more than 300 separate classified documents. If one classified document in the hands of reality winner merited a 63-month prison term, Trump is facing a sentence of 1,575 years. Or perhaps it should be harsher. Listen to that phrase again from the source quoted by the Washington Post. On August 8th, FBI agents recovered documents containing, quote, among the most sensitive secrets we hold, unquote. Material considered extraordinarily sensitive because it could reveal carefully guarded secrets about U.S. intelligence gathering methods. Is 1,575 years in prison for such mass perfidy, such brazen deceit, such cold disloyalty, such arrogant treachery, is that sufficient? Tuesday brought more and more details of the government's almost inexplicable patience with this cheap thieving bastard Donald Trump. Those shattering quotes from the Washington Post were part of a report revealing that Trump lawyers were warned not in June nor in May, but on April 12th via email that the FBI would soon be examining all the stolen documents Trump had returned in January. It is possible that when that email was sent by the National Archives, there might still have been a belief, a hope perhaps, that Trump acted mistakenly and slovenly, but not criminally nor intentionally. But one sentence from Monday's New York Times report keeps turning over and over in my mind. Quoting that, Mr. Trump went through the boxes himself in late 2021, according to multiple people briefed on his efforts before turning them over. Told he must return them. He instead went through them. He returned some. He returned others in June. The FBI recovered others on August 8th. There may yet be more to get back from this thief. The Tuesday Washington Post report underscored the whodunit part, too. Quoting, it could not be determined who was involved with packing the boxes at Mar-a-Lago or why some White House documents were not sent to the archives, though people familiar with the episode said Trump oversaw the process himself and did so with great secrecy, declining to show some items even to top aides. As the issue of the missing documents moved from possible clerical mistakes to grave matters of national security, quote, FBI agents were told that Trump was a pack rat who had been personally overseeing his collection of White House records since even before leaving Washington and had been reluctant to return anything. None of this was mistaken or slovenly conduct. All of this was crime. It is so obvious that this is the direction that this story is going, that when Trump's 27-page lawsuit demanding the appointment of a special master got to the Florida courtroom of the presiding judge on Tuesday, she had to inform his out-of-state lawyers, as the Times put it, quote, that they had bungled routine paperwork, unquote, that was required before they were eligible to take part in Trump's suit in Florida. A sample motion can be found on the court's website, the judge added helpfully. After that judicial equivalent of telling the lawyers that their flies were unzipped, the judge then read the 27 pages. Formally, politely, dispassionately, she then asked what made them think that she even had the jurisdiction to hear the case. 
and she asked them why they thought the judge who had already handled the affidavit and the search warrant and the affidavit unsealing moment, why that judge should not hear their new case. And she asked them finally as embarrassing a question as a lawyer could ever hear, in essence, I can't tell from your motion what the hell it is you want me to do, and I can't tell from your motion what the hell it is you want this special master of yours to do. The judge is named Eileen Cannon, and she was appointed by Donald Trump. And whatever Trump or his attorneys expected that she would do, whether it was to snap a salute and make a curtsy and say, thank you for making me a judge, your heroship, she didn't do anything like it. Trump is in a world of hurt, and those around him are not helping. The same Washington Post piece that quoted the source saying that these are among the most sensitive secrets we hold added, quote, in Trump's inner circle, concern has been rising since June that the former president has created legal jeopardy for himself, according to multiple people in his orbit. Quote, Mar-a-Lago is a big problem, unquote, one of the people said. I mentioned yesterday that the publication of the May letter from the National Archives, whether the decision to reveal it was Trump's own or John Solomon's, was the worst tactical mistake in an espionage case since Alger Hiss denied that he'd ever known Whitaker Chambers. Well, now Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was on Fox at least twice yesterday. He was actually asked a serious question by Steve Ducey, quoting, Apparently, there were 300 classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Why would the former president have that many classified things at Mar-a-Lago? Kushner could have pushed the he declassified them lie. He could have said something, anything that defended Trump. He did not. He said, I'm not familiar with what exactly the contents were. Then he attacked the New York Times. Then he concluded, be very careful with what you read. You should have told your father-in-law that. Later in the day, Kushner was asked about his reaction to all of this and said simply, quote, to the Fox host, hopefully it's something that has aroused a lot of people. Despite Kushner's creepy help, as always, Trump's biggest enemy remains Trump. His claim that he did declassify everything or had a standing order to declassify everything or could retroactively declassify everything just by looking at it has led to the inevitable. FBI agents are now interviewing people from his administration looking for somebody to back up any part of those claims. So far, reporting is universal on this from a series of news outlets. Nobody is backing up any part of those claims. And all his claim has done has forced Trump cronies to spend their money on lawyers. And lastly, there was late reporting Tuesday night by Rolling Stone magazine that Trump has told his latest set of lawyers, the ones who did not know they had to fill out Florida paperwork to appear before a court in Florida, that he has told them, quote, get my documents back from federal law enforcement. Trump wasn't merely referring to the alleged trove of attorney-client material that he insists was scooped up by the feds during the raid, two people familiar with the patter tell Rolling Stone. The ex-president has been demanding that his team find a way to recover all of the official documents that Trump has long referred to as mine, including the highly sensitive and top-secret ones. And the quotation from the article. Trump wants what he believes he should get. These crimes, these traitorous treacheries against the safety and security of the United States of America could get him something very different indeed, like 1,575 years in prison or worse. Because, as the lyrics to the Rolling Stones song he has for so long and so incongruously played at his rallies goes... You can't always get what you want. Still ahead on Countdown, some late results from primary night, including a Republican claiming there is Republican voter fraud. Plus, what is killing dozens of dogs in Michigan? Baseball's Fernando Tati Jr. apologizes but sticks to his story that he only took steroids originally used by East German Olympians in order to treat ringworm. 
Tucker Carlson competes for worst person's honors. And have you ever run headfirst into a train? I have. Let me recommend against it. It's the anniversary. It's also how I met Dr. Renee Richards. That's next. This is Countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, you are on Mehmet Oz's campaign. What is the last thing you want to rekindle? How about the laughter after your candidate made that video and called a veggie tray a crudite? Well, they did it. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. Sonny Boy could use your help. 13 years old, left to wander the streets of Thousand Palms in California. Just a gorgeous 73-pound lab retriever mix. Looks very sad, very lost, very confused. As of today, he is no longer considered a lost dog. He'll be available for adoption. It also means he could be euthanized. I just brought a 15-year-old dog who outlived his entire family into my home. My experience with him is rewarding beyond words, and he seems to like it too. I expect Sonny Boy would feel that way about you. To find out about him, go to my Twitter feed for Dogs in Need, Tom Jumbo Grumbo. I'll have photos, email addresses, links, all you need. Look for Sonny Boy at Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter, and you can also really help just by retweeting him. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Coming up on Countdown, the president had a lot of nerve going on vacation, said the Republican senator who was on vacation in Italy. So they're complaining about the video of fooling around by two fans at the Oakland A's game. My God, the news here is there were two fans at the Oakland A's game. That's ahead. First, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. This just in. Dateline, the voting booth. Some results from Tuesday's primaries in the Florida House primaries. Matt Gates was renominated. That 18-year-old vote coming into play. Looney Tunes' Laura Loomer was poised to fall to Daniel Webster, making a comeback after 150 years out of the campaign trail. That's in the 11th. And Anthony Arrest, the FBI Sabatini, was falling in the Florida 7th to Corey Mills. Loomer says she won't concede. She's claiming voter fraud by Florida Republicans. And Charlie Crist defeated Nikki Freed for the Democratic berth to take on Ron DeSantis. DeSantis had led them both in the polls by about seven In February, he had led them both by about 20. And in the Fakakta, New York primary, pitting two sitting Democratic House committee chairs, Jerry Nadler was cleaning Carolyn Maloney's clock. Dateline Hialeah, Florida. It's happened again, third time in the last month. Ron DeSantis completed a speech by telling his audience, put on the full armor of God. It is clear that the cynical fascist Florida would-be dictator is fully invested in trying to exploit these powerfully deluded evangelicals. Dateline New Jersey. Thank you, Draz, for reigniting the crudite veggie plate story. The aptly named spokesperson for Mehmet's Oz Pennsylvania's Senate campaign, Rachel Tripp, takes a shot at the Democrat, quote, if John Fetterman had ever eaten a vegetable in his life, then maybe he wouldn't have had a major stroke. Eaten a vegetable, did you say? Well, now you've combined them both. A crudite and crudity. I thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wagner's, and I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks. Also, left out of that equation, a broccoli? And more draws Dateline Pittsburgh. Asked about extending health care for veterans, Oz said they deserve the best. Quote, I actually think they should get the same insurance I get if I'm serving in the U.S. Senate. Oz clearly does not know that veterans get most health care for free from the Veterans Administration, but senators have to get private insurance purchased from the health exchanges. In other words, Oz wants veterans to have to pay. Dateline Montpelier, Vermont, amid a gathering storm in Brazil in which strongman Jair Bolsonaro has warned he may not step down even if he loses October's election. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has drafted a resolution that the U.S. will immediately recognize the election outcome, which international monitors deem to have been free and fair. This is a great idea, my friend. Now, Bernie... Do the same resolution for this country's elections. Dateline Gaylord, Michigan. Humans are being warned not to even take their dogs for walks there because veterinarians still are not sure what has killed several dozen dogs in the Michigan Lower Peninsula. Same symptoms as parvo, canine parvovirus, vomiting, diarrhea, lethargy, and it can be fatal within days. Only some early postmortems have showed positive tests for parvo, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus of the Schwartzman Animal Medical Center in New York suspects and sadly is hoping this may be a new strain of parvo that just is not showing up on those initial tests. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. From the world of wide sports, Fernando Tatis Jr., a year ago the face of baseball, faced the media in San Diego a week and a half after he was suspended until next May for using steroids. He didn't say much. A lot of use of sorry and I let people down. Padres fans and much of the media seem obsessed with the fact that Tatis, who is not going to play for the next 11 months anyway, has now agreed to have the shoulder surgery he had resisted. Lost in all this, Tatis is sticking to his story that he took the steroid that turned up in a test last month, Clostebol, in medication for a skin infection, medication he says he did not get from the Padres. 
Unfortunately, we really do not know enough to know whether or not to believe him. Obviously, he cannot say he took the steroid deliberately. That might subject him to additional penalties, maybe even the voiding of his $340 million contract. Still, there are doubts. Tweeted yesterday, a redesigned San Diego Padres logo with the swinging friar holding not a bat but a needle and the team name spelled P-E-D raise. Up the road in Anaheim, well, owner Artie Moreno has tried everything else since he bought the defending world champion LA Angels on May 15, 2003. They drafted baseball's top star, Mike Trout. They signed an all-star pitcher who is also an all-star hitter in Shohei Otani. They've signed over-the-hill future Hall of Famers. They've signed a future Hall of Fame manager. They've fired a future Hall of Fame manager. They've run a front office so lax that one of his players died from drugs supplied by a team executive. Results? The Angels have lost 22 of the 32 playoff games they have played in the Moreno era. Trout has played in exactly three postseason games, Otani in none. Moreno now announces he's going to, quote, evaluate strategic alternatives, including a possible sale of the Angels. And completing our tour of California baseball, the Oakland A's have played in the same old football stadium since 1968, Sewage has backed up and filled the dugouts. The owners have traded eight players, now starring in Atlanta and New York and Chicago, just this year alone. And those owners are trying to build momentum towards moving the franchise to Las Vegas. Sunday, a couple in the uppermost regions of the near-empty Oakland Coliseum were caught engaging willy-nilly in hanky-panky. Police are reportedly investigating. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Wait, are they investigating the hanky-panky, or are they investigating the fact that they're actually fans at an Oakland A's game? Well, it gets worse. Monday night, a group of A's fans who've named themselves after the team's all-time greatest player, the Ricky Henderson of blogs, went to the same seats and held up homemade signs commemorating Sunday's festivities. Among the signs, don't blow it, keep your head in the game, and... These seats suck. The fans say Coliseum Security confiscated the signs and scolded the fans, saying, you agreed to a code of conduct when you bought this ticket. Too bad A's management didn't agree to a code of conduct when they sold that ticket. Still ahead on Countdown, never run for a train. There will always be another one. 42 years ago today, I ran for a train. Run around and find out. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze to moron DeSantis's lieutenant governor, Jeanette Nunez, with Republican cosplaying politicians in a frenzy to ship immigrants to other states, Lieutenant Governor Nunez told a local radio station that she supports sending newly arrived Cuban migrants from Florida to Delaware. Then somebody reminded the Lieutenant Governor that she is the descendant of Cuban migrants who came to Florida. So she said no, she actually meant, quote, Entering the country illegally and fleeing a dictatorship to seek asylum are two different things. She said her remarks were misrepresented. Since many non-Cuban migrants were fleeing dictatorship, maybe her remarks were misrepresented. And she meant to say, I'm so full of Republican crap, I have turned against my own people. The silver to good old Tucker Carlson, or as the Russian state TV network that rebroadcasts his Fox show calls him, Tuxin Carlson. Last week, the Jiminy Glick sound-alike told his viewers that the attempt to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, in hopes of starting a second civil war was a setup by the government to make a group of ordinary people in Michigan look like terrifying right-wing extremists. <laughs> Tuesday, a federal grand jury found Barry Croft and Adam Fox guilty of conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer and conspiring to use weapons of mass destruction. Each man faces a maximum sentence of life in the big house. And what a shock, the kidnapping terrorist, not named Barry Croft, is named Fox. But our winner, Florida Senator Rick Scott, 
He's the Voldemort lookalike, the Republican Senate Campaign Committee chair, and some Republicans are calling for him to be investigated because it seems his committee has run out of money in August for elections that don't happen until November. At 4.50 p.m. Monday, his Twitter account sent this out, quote, Another week of President Biden vacationing in Delaware versus working at the White House. If he loves to travel so much, I've got some suggestions as to where he should go next. And there followed a Twitter vote. All three of the voting options were, quote, the southern border. You'll notice I was careful how I phrased this. I said at 4.50 p.m. Monday, his Twitter account sent. Because it turns out that at that precise moment... Senator Scott thought he was scoring political points against the president for being on vacation in Delaware. Well, Senator Scott was on vacation in Italy on a luxury yacht. Like I say about Mehmet Oz, Rick Scott has got to be a Democratic plant, right? Senator Rick, why Italy? Because that's where my horcrux is, Scott. Today's worst person... In the world! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So finally to our number one story on the countdown on my favorite topic, me, and things I promised not to tell. Although, truth be told, I have been telling this story now for 42 years. 
On Sunday, the 24th of August, 1980, I learned what mom meant when she had said, never run for a train, there'll always be another one. Because I didn't know what it meant, I nearly killed myself, I permanently altered my health, and I put myself on a path towards meeting the great Dr. Renee Richards. I was sleeping late in my relatively new and tiny studio apartment on 55th Street in Manhattan, apartment 10F, when above me, 11F started making noise, like pounding on the floor. And now it's 8.30 Sunday morning, and I'm awake, and I'm not due at my job as a radio sportscaster until about 2, and I think, well, I'm up. Oh, the Dodgers are playing the Mets at Shea. I can go do my other job as a semi-professional photographer and go shoot the Dodgers and still make it to work on time. So I pack my semi-professional emphasis on the semi-photographer's bag and drag myself out on the subway and get to Shea Stadium around 11.30 a.m., and there's nobody there. No Dodgers players, no Mets players, nobody but the groundskeepers. And as the minutes pass, I'm beginning to calculate when I have to leave in order to not be late to my job back in Manhattan. Weekend life in New York City in 1980 might as well have been 1910. I tell people this, they do not believe me. But when I worked weekends the next year in Times Square, I used to call into my newsroom from a payphone on Fifth Avenue and say, okay, I'm going to Arby's today. Who wants what? Or McDonald's or Burger King or wherever, because our office was in Times Square. And on weekends, there were no restaurants open in Times Square. You could not get food in Times Square on weekends. Today, the same four-square block area probably has 50 restaurants and fast food places. So the train back to Manhattan from Shea Stadium in Queens ran once every half an hour on that Sunday in August of 1980. And as I looked at my watch, I realized I should have left the field three or four minutes ago. If you went out the press entrance and exit at Shea Stadium, you could see the train approaching the elevated station out behind right field. And if you had just seen it, if it had just become visible, and if you then ran your fastest, you could make it to the viaduct that crossed the parking lot and led you up towards the station platform. And if you could get your subway token out and into the turnstile slot with one fluid overhand motion, and if you kept running all the time, you could just make the train. If you didn't, you would be waiting half an hour. Unless maybe the next train was late or on fire somewhere. Sure enough, as I got out of the ballpark, I could see the Manhattan-bound train just appearing at the horizon. I was 21, my knees still worked, and I ran. And I got into the viaduct, and I got the token out of my pocket, and I got it into the slot like Daryl Dawkins doing a tomahawk slam. And I not only made the train, but I made it by so much that I styled. I celebrated. I congratulated myself. I was guilty of premature jocularity. I could have just slowed to a triumphant jog and gotten a seat, huffing and sweaty, but eminently satisfied and on time for work. But no, I decided to make an exultant, joyful leap. The next thing I registered was the loudest sound I had ever or have since ever heard, as if 600 gongs had gone off simultaneously, or a dozen church bells, or every alarm clock that had ever awakened me from the deepest of sleeps. Something like this, but inside your head. Bong! What had happened was, forgetting that I was no longer six feet tall, as I had been even two years before, but was now just under six four, my leap had ended with me slamming my forehead on the flat metal bar just above the train doorway. An inch higher, I might have blinded myself. The bar, an inch above the doorway, is in fact, as I found out later, the thickest piece of metal on a New York City subway train. As it was, my momentum carried me safely into the train. I hit the floor. I saw my sunglasses go flying off and rattling down towards the back of the train like a plastic rat. I heard the train doors close. I felt the blood on my head and in my hair, and I crawled up onto the plastic bench seating behind me. The mass gong sound continued in my head, and my first cogent thought was to see the blood on the train floor and think, oh, I have spilled blood all over their train. And I don't have anything to clean it up with. 
Similar nonsense continued to bounce around my concussed size 8 noggin for seconds, maybe minutes. It was beginning to really hurt, and of more practical import, the bleeding had not really stopped. At this point, an older woman sitting more or less across from me handed me a small packet. It was a wet wipe. I mumbled thanks, opened it, dabbed it on my forehead for a second, and was surprised to find it instantly inundated with blood. This was the first time it occurred to me that I might be in real trouble on the number 7 local train to Grand Central and Times Square. Apparently, this thought occurred simultaneously to the woman with the wet wipes and to her friend. I think you're kind of hurt, one of them said to me. Let's get you to the hospital. There's one a couple blocks from the next stop. Now, understand this situation. The New York of 1980, and particularly the subways of 1980, were not nice places. Two years later, I took a rush hour train to my job at CNN at the World Trade Center and was annoyed to find one guy who had sprawled himself over three seats with a newspaper covering his face. Nine hours later, when I went home, I got onto a train and saw the same guy with the same newspaper on the same seats because it was the same train and more importantly, because he was dead. Anyway. It was now around 12.45 of a Sunday afternoon. If it had been night, or indeed certain other times of the day, or on other train lines, I would have simply been the easiest mugging victim in New York history. Somebody could have knocked me over and taken my wallet with next to no effort. Hell, they could have asked me for my wallet, and I was so dazed I probably would have said, Sure, have a nice day. Got any wet wipes? Instead, I met not one but two good Samaritans who knew where the hospitals were in a part of town I could barely find on a map. Sure enough, they helped me to my feet, walked me down the steps and to the two blocks or so that separated us from Elmhurst Hospital. And when I reassured them I was clear-headed enough to get into the emergency room by myself, they wished me luck and they would not even accept my offer of two tokens to get them back on the subway. There should be a monument to these two women somewhere. If the New York City subways of 1980 were scary, the emergency rooms of its hospitals were something out of a Brian De Palma film. I think there were a couple of dozen people in the ER. I remember one of them asking me how I got so bloody, and I explained, and he said, you should go ahead of me. And he opened his windbreaker to show a blood-covered shirt, and he added, the bullet only grazed me. I know I waited about two hours. During that time, I had a singular experience which has informed my understanding of concussions and traumatic brain injury ever since. The desk nurse asked me for the name of a contact, preferably a family member. I gave my father's name, Theodore. Then she asked me for my full name, and when I went to say it, I could not remember my middle name. Could not remember my middle name. Keith, I got. Olderman, I got. That was it. My middle name is also Theodore. I could remember Theodore, my dad, but not Theodore, my middle name. That is how fragile your brain really is. Think of that the next time you see somebody get clocked in a sporting event. There was some comic relief. I called into my office at United Press International's audio network and explained to the news editor, a veteran named Ed Karens, the most dapper man in radio history who looked like the actor Ray Collins from Citizen Kane. I told Ed I had just sort of almost, you know, killed myself on the subway coming in from Queens, and I really didn't know when or if I would be at work. About 45 minutes after that conversation, the desk nurse started shouting my name, and I thought, okay, I'm finally going to be brought in to see a doctor. No, it was Ed Karen's calling from UPI. My bosses were all very sorry that I was wounded, he said, but there was nobody available to fill in for me, so when could they expect me to be in the office? I explained I did not know that since I was technically still bleeding to death. 45 minutes more passed, and again the nurse summoned me and said there was a phone call, and this time I was sure it was my dad. Keith, Ed Karen's again at UPI. He explained that my boss now said that they would bring in the guy who was supposed to do the next morning sportscast, my college friend Peter Schack now, but they expected me to do his shift starting at 4.30 in the morning. I explained to Ed that I would try, but that honestly, I didn't know where I was or what time it was now. Two nice ladies had mentioned the name of the hospital, but I really wasn't remembering too well. Plus, I was still bleeding to death. 
Needless to say, I did not bleed to death. I survived. It was a severe concussion, but it only took a stitch and a half to actually close that wound. And the ER doctor and the nurses were outstanding, and they gave me easy-to-remember instructions plus a note indicating that I should rest for at least 48 hours just in case Ed Karens showed up at my apartment. No offense to Ed. They told me what symptoms to expect, how to prepare for them, and and when they would stop. And they stopped like one day earlier. It was a potential disaster that turned into a nothing burger. Or so I thought. Two years later, I was at the original Louis Armstrong Stadium covering the 1982 U.S. Tennis Open. On the other side of the same elevated subway station where I had run into the train. Going there always actually made me laugh. Until the afternoon of Saturday, September 11th, 1982, I was watching the women's final, covering it for CNN, Chris Everett over Hannah Mandlikova, and swinging my head from side to side as one does to follow the tennis action from over here to over there to over here to over there as I had swung my head from side to side for the preceding 12 days of the tournament. Then I swung to the right, but my left eye kept looking to the left. The old Marty Feldman thing, reversed, crossed eyes. That hurt worse than hitting the train had. I could barely stand any light. I often had to keep my hand in front of my eyes. I rushed to my optometrist Monday morning, and he started to laugh. This happened to you during the U.S. Open? I said, yes, why are you laughing at me? He said, I'm going to send you to the best muscle ophthalmologist I've ever met. I said, so why are you laughing at me? He said, you don't know who that is? I said, no, I let my knowledge of the muscle ophthalmology ranking slip. Why are you laughing at me? He said, the best muscle ophthalmologist I've ever met is Dr. Renee Richards, the transsexual tennis player. I said, I I don't care who you're sending me to. I'm in trouble here. If they can fix this, I don't care who you're sending me to. My train accident was so far in my past that when I got in to see Dr. Richards the next morning, I didn't even think to mention it in my patient history. It didn't matter. 30 seconds of staring into my eyes through a wall-sized foropter. And Renee Richards said, when exactly did you hit your head? August or September of 1980? I was stunned. Uh, I did hit my head in 1980. August 24th. She made a clicking noise of satisfaction. I've heard of this before, but I've never seen it. You couldn't do this again in a million years. The good news is that muscle problem with the eyes... That's just muscle exhaustion. We can fix that with a thing that costs a buck ninety-eight. The bad news is when you hit your head, most of the damage must have been absorbed by your inner ear. If you want to fix that, you'll need brain surgery. I don't recommend brain surgery. Dr. Renee Richards showed me the muscle exercises that cost $1.98 that fixed my reverse crossed eyes. They felt better immediately. I still do the exercises. I did them earlier today. Then Renee Richards said, so you're a sports reporter, it says here? Listen, my next patient isn't due for half an hour. You should rest anyway after my exam. Let's talk about sports reporting. Renee Richards was an expert. Her transition had been outed by a sportscaster. Tucker Carlson's father, if you can believe that. I can believe it. Because she had been a man... When she played in the U.S. Open as a woman, she had become almost instantaneously the most famous tennis player in the world. Then she became Martina Navratilova's coach. I learned more from her in that first half hour of conversation about the ethics of reporting than I had in all of my previous life experiences combined. Plus... She was a gas. Renee Richards was hilarious. She was self-effacing. She was a great doctor. And to me, she was the definition of courage. And she, I am proud to say, is still my friend. All because I did not know what mom meant when she said, don't run for a train. There will always be another one. The other phrase I never really understood till then was breakneck speed. Oh, and there is one more punchline here. If the name of that hospital that the two good Samaritans took me to, Elmhurst Hospital, sounds vaguely familiar, it should, it was ground zero when COVID-19 hit, when the pandemic had its hand around New York City's throat. The worst hit community was Elmhurst in Queens, and the worst hit hospital was Elmhurst Hospital. They were in desperate need at that point of ventilators, so I knew what I had to do. You could buy them for cash, legally, so I got 
two ventilators. I had them delivered. One for each of the ladies who helped me to get off the damn train that day. I've done all the damage I can do here. And in this story, that was meant literally. This is where I ask you to please rate and review this podcast. Tell them it's outstanding. You listened to it several times. Felt like a smack in the head. No, don't tell them that. The countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the Olbermann ESPN2 theme, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Larry David. That's Countdown for this, the 595th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. A new episode tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.